Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Game Point Pod. My name is Fata, and I got my co-host, Mr. New York Nick himself, Yazin, with me. See the positivity there, bro? I'm trying to be positive this time. How's it going, bro? Man, listen, we're one week in, and you're showing no signs of failing, so I do appreciate that. I'm, I'm very surprised, to be honest. <laughs> That's great, but everything's going well on your end? It is, man. I'm starting the campaign for Emmanuel quickly to start at point guard. Uh, it's not. It's getting a lot of traction, actually, on uh, on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, man, things are good on this end. So let's get to it. Yeah, he's balling. He's balling. Man, on my side, though, I'm kind of depressed, not going to lie. Uh, unfortunately, just off topic, my Buffalo Bills just took a whipping last night in the AFC Championship game. Mm. One thing I learned in this game is to never, ever trust the injury report. They were saying that Patrick Mahomes was in concussion protocol, having turf toe, any kind of injury, they name it, he has it. But this dude was literally throwing for like over 375 yards and throwing for three touchdowns. And again, I'm not having it. So Mahomes is definitely something else. And now I got to go back to walking the Raptors. (laughs) Shout out to Cole Beasley for playing with a broken damn leg. That's unbelievable, bro. Like I... Like, I get it if, like, you're playing with a broken leg in that game, but apparently he broke his leg back in, like, week 16, and he still continued playing. So kudos to him, man. That guy's a warrior. What a what a warrior. Speaking of warriors, we're going to get into it today. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. You know what? Let's get this episode started. Drop the damn beat. This is going to be a very special episode today as we honor the late Kobe Bryant who passed one year ago tomorrow. The one thing that always comes to mind is where I was when I heard the tragic news. So I remember first hearing about the news when I was driving on the highway running errands and I get massive notifications just blown up from TMZ to Twitter to IG, whatever social media platform there was that a helicopter crash has happened and Kobe as well as his family was in it. Then I started to hear that Rick Fox was also in there as well. Now it came to a point that there was so much going on, so much speculation that it caused people, including myself, to doubt whether this was even true to begin with. However, it was then confirmed a few hours later that Kobe was in, a, was in that tragic helicopter crash, claiming eight others, including his daughter, Gianna. So where were you, Yazin, on this tragic day? Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was at home. Uh, I think I remember scrolling instagram and i saw a picture i think it was six buzz on on instagram for for those who are in toronto uh and it said something like rest in peace to the to kobe and i'm like okay this is this is a joke like obviously it's some sort of meme that i'm missing out on i'm a little washed so i probably thought it was something that i I was missing and then you know you go to you go to twitter just to just to confirm because twitter is the the news source basically and you just see a bunch of tweets saying oh no it can't be oh no and at that point, you're like, okay, what's really going on? And, you know, you wait a little bit more. And then once Woj dropped uh, the most unfortunate Woj bomb he's ever dropped, it was uh, that it was, in fact, true that Kobe Bryant had passed away in a helicopter crash. And his daughter, Gianna, was with him, along with um, a family of uh, a team that, that he coached, basically, uh, with the Mamba Academy. And it just was unreal, like completely out of nowhere, completely left field. And, it I'll, I'll be honest it, it hit me hard uh and it took me a while to like truly grasp like 
what had happened and really made me like rethink my life. And I remember the next morning I texted my family, my group chat from my, from my, my mom and my sisters. And I told them, Hey, listen, like, I love you guys, you know, look both ways when you cross the street, don't text and drive, watch what you eat. Like, you never know. It it was so sudden and, and, and so out of the ordinary that, you know, it, it made you really consider your own sort of mortality. And, uh, and yeah, it's completely unbelievable that it's been a year since then, a year ago. So yeah, January 26th, uh, the day that this podcast drops. And yeah, it, it, it still hasn't really fully hit to me. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, you see any kind of Kobe highlight out there, starting off with the January 22nd, 2006 highlight of his 81-point performance against the Raptors and seeing all these other you know, Kobe clips, it really just puts cause to pause as to like someone like Kobe passing so tragically. And then again, just thinking about yourself and, you know, what you can do to make yourself a better person, a better individual, a better family member, whatever the case may be during this short period of time. So again, it's a, it's definitely a bittersweet moment knowing the fact that it is tragic that Kobe has left us, but then it kind of gives everybody that wake up call that, Hey, now that you're breathing, and you, you still have a chance to, you know, put an imprint on this earth, uh, you know, with the most positive outlook possible. So, again, like this death, as we know, uh, did shock the entire basketball world and beyond. Kobe had a lot going for himself after retirement as he entered his, into his quote unquote prime in the production industry, fresh off winning an Academy Award. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about on his career and reflecting on as to all the great times and how privileged we are as NBA fans to watch a once-in-a-lifetime talent. In this episode of Kobe edition of Rundat, we'll start off with the first topic, which Kobe was better, number eight or number 24? So, Yasmin, you can go off with that. Oh, man, that that's hard. Uh, you know, obviously, number eight, he won three championships with Shaq, probably the most dominant you know, duo in NBA history. Uh, and then when he came back as 24, he, he really reinvented himself uh, in the wake of his, his controversy in Colorado, where he, he really became, you really sense that he became a new person, a new player. And he, he was really more focused than he ever was uh, winning those two championships with Pau Gasol uh, in tow in, you know, 2009, 2010. Um, so, I mean, to me, I always remember number eight. I always remember, you know, Kobe with the fro, Kobe with the goatee, you know, like just completely dominating, you know. Th- and this is really off of the uh, off the heels of Michael Jordan. I mean, Kobe really started to enter his prime when Michael Jordan left around, you know, the early 2000s. And, you know, watching him with Shaq and watching just their chemistry, two alpha males. You'll you'll hear it whenever you listen to uh, the podcast that they had together or that NBA TV sit down that they had. These two guys w- were willing to just beat the living crap out of each other just to win a championship, and really just to beat everyone else up in, in their wake. You know, two complete alpha males. So when when you have those two like alpha male mentalities in the same on the same team. And it's a success that just goes to show how good both of them were. And for Kobe, I mean, it just goes to show how 
much of a, a just a driving force he was when you're playing with Shaquille O'Neal, who no one is really hard to stop Shaquille O'Neal. He's easily the most dominant player in NBA history, and to still be just as dominant in the backcourt, to be you know just as important and impactful during that three-peat, I, I I always have to go with number eight, Kobe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to me, the nostalgia of number eight cannot go unnoticed. It was literally the first Kobe that was introduced to me as an NBA fan. And obviously, like you mentioned, at such a young age, Kobe was a straight-up assassin. You know, with the addition of Shaquille O'Neal back in, what, like 96? It really helped elevate his game to the next level. Again, we saw the three-peat. They won together, virtually averaging 30 points per game throughout the entire playoffs. And then just think about all the battles we watched when we were younger, you know, in the Western Conference with the Sacramento Kings, with C-Webb, Bibby, Lottie Divac. And then you got the Portland Trailblazers, the Houston Rockets, the Spurs, the Mavs, just to name a few. Man, just think about it. We're actually spoiled just to see all that competition. You know what I mean? It's facts. It's facts. It's facts. It's facts. It's facts. We were. Agreed. But I guess just to wrap that all up, in addition to all the crazy regular season performances that we spoke about, 24 to me was more of like the mature Kobe, as you mentioned, you know, after the controversy in Colorado and then, you know, switching up to Jersey after that. He was basically a more mature Kobe who had, you know, still the ultimate alpha male mentality on a team with a, a ton of complimentary pieces. He didn't have to share those alpha duties like he did with Shaq back in the first repeat. And yet again, he was still able to prove that he can be the only superstar to do it on his own. So again, truly a pleasure to watch. Both 8 and 24 are are Hall of Famers in their own way, just looking at the stats to begin with. And with that said, number 8 to me is definitely the more nostalgic version of Kobe to me. And and think about it. He, He got two numbers retired. I mean, it's hard enough to get one number retired in the NBA, but for him to get two numbers retired, that means he had two different careers in the span of one career, basically. And both of them were just as good as one another. He, I mean, Kobe should have won much more MVPs than he did. Like, let's, let's put that out the way. Steve Nash, you know, great player and all. Those two MVPs, he did not deserve to win those two MVPs. He, you know, Kobe got robbed for at least one of them, Shaq probably got robbed with one as well. Right. Like we're we're not even like Kobe could have even been way bigger than he was, and he was already arguably one of the greatest players of all time. And like I said, just a testament to his his work and his game to retire two numbers for the Los Angeles Lakers of all teams is is simply incredible. And for him to stay on that team his whole career, again in this day and age, unheard of. Yeah, and you know what's so crazy to me too, also. I don't think he won MVP in 05-06, I believe, the year that he averaged like 35 points per game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Did he win that, or was that Steve Nash that won that 2006 MVP? It was uh, 07-08. To have one MVP and to have retired two numbers and, and be one of the greatest of all time, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a travesty. But, uh, I mean, I think Kobe, you know, Kobe would have rathered the championship over the MVP any day uh, if, if you would ask him winning is the most important thing and and he was a winner always and that's what makes him the mamba the black mamba as they say so uh the next question that we have here or the next topic rather is are there any current players in today's nba that you see kobe bryant in their game so to me a few players come to mind primarily two the first one is demar Derozan with his classic combination of the kobe pump fake 
elite footwork and the heavy usage of the mid-range game. Lots of players and former players in the NBA landscape have explicitly mentioned Damara as the Kobe light, or in other words, kind of disrespectful Walmart Kobe, to say the least. Yo, you bugging. <laughs> um, so, you know, you can definitely see it in this game. When he was playing with the Raptors, you can see bits and pieces of it. Uh, that's the first player that comes to mind on my end. Another player for me in terms of superstardom at such a young age and a straight-up scoring assassin to me is Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns. He's almost built like Kobe physically, and with his uncanny shot-making ability, uh, you can kind of see remnants of that young Kobe, the fro Kobe-esque. And let's hope that we see more of that Mamba flashes with CP3 arriving in Phoenix. So do you have any players that come to mind? Yeah, uh, those are two really good comparisons, especially the DeMar DeRozan comparison. I mean, Kobe lived in the mid-range. That's where he did all his damage. You know, when he would post guys up, uh, and you'd think a, a guard, you know, posting a guy up in the paint, uh, what, you know, what, what is he doing there? But he was a magician there. He would He would really just draw them along and pump fake, swipe through, up and under, Fade away. He lived in that mid-range. So I definitely agree with uh, the DeRozan comparison. My comparison would be someone that Kobe worked with uh, recently, and that's uh, Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. Tatum is. They play a little bit different positions. Tatum is a little taller. He is a more of a power forward role. But you can see in his game that Tatum is really ready to become a leader. He's, he's a fluid scorer. That means you know he really tackles any sort of scoring scenario he wants to work on his mid-range he's been working on his three he attacks the basket with reckless abandon which kobe bryant if you know if you watch any of his highlights kobe didn't matter it didn't matter to kobe who was in front of him he was going to dunk on him every single time Uh, yeah dwight was i mean that picture is is synonymous and then they ended up being teammates after so tatum has that has those flashes we you know i've seen it uh, in his game and the fact that he worked with Kobe himself is definitely something that is going to uh, allow Tatum to really flourish into that Kobe role another guy on my list would be Kyrie Irving uh, a little bit different as to the leadership because Kyrie's not necessarily <laughs> not not in the same realm as a, a leader and a proven winner as Kobe Bryant is but Uh, Kyrie has, you know, the intangibles when it comes to scoring in the NBA. He has just a fluidity of moves, dribble moves. He's very creative in how he scores, and he's clutch. Kyrie Irving has that clutch gene in him. We saw that in the finals against the Warriors when he nailed that step back three. That is a Kobe Bryant shot. That is Kobe versus the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. You know, Kobe's always had that give-me-the-ball Get out of my way. I'm going to score mentality. And I see a lot of that in Kyrie Irving. Kyrie's gone a little bit off the beaten path a little bit, but you can't deny his skill. You can't deny his offensive prowess. And when I see him just lull a guy to sleep and hit him with a mid-range jumper or, you know, crunch time, balls in his hands, he's just going to wait, 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 shoot it, bang, three-pointer, game's over. That's a lot of what Kobe did, and Kobe did it better than really anyone. I mean, you can compare him to the greats when it comes to clutch time performances. Uh, so I see a lot of that in Kyrie Irving, too. So those are my two guys, Tatum and Irving. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, I really hope that we can see, you know, those players that we mentioned get to even half of Kobe's greatness that we were able to witness as NBA fans over the course of the last 20 years. So again, you can start to see an influx of these young players now trying to imitate their games against, you know, the latest greats such as Kobe, LeBron now, you know, beforehand it used to be Michael Jordan, but now you start to see the new generation of NBA players or, or, or college players or even young players uh, in high school where they start to imitate some of the uh, legends that they were able to watch on TV or in person, whatever the case may be. So you start to see remnants of that, which is kind of nice, which leads to my next topic um, where we want to discuss what is your favorite Kobe moment. So I'll let you start off with that. Oh man. So here's the thing. Um, You know, I admittedly wasn't the biggest Kobe fan growing up. Uh, You know, you've heard my, spiel on the lakers bandwagon i think it was more so because i disliked laker fans that i didn't particularly i couldn't really say that i was a kobe stan by any means like i wasn't buying his jersey or anything but i respected the hell out of the guy because he was just a consummate nba player so but if i had to because was it because of the fact that obviously the lakers are a storied franchise similar to that of the Knicks so is it because of that rivalry of being such a storied franchise with a lot of history in the NBA that maybe not just you but maybe Knicks fans don't really have that appetite with Lakers fan base I I think it was more or less because most of the Lakers fan base wasn't didn't have ties to LA or the Lakers at all they kind of you know they were the Kobe fans of of around the world and then they they became ride or die for for the you know purple and gold so i think that's where it kind of came from is that the fans just kind of turned me off but when i used to watch kobe i mean secretly like i you know i used to root for the guy because he was just so fun to watch uh you know despite the fact that the the bandwagon would always celebrate another championship but if i have to go with my favorite kobe moment it's when he dropped 61 points at madison square garden against the knicks uh a little backstory to that that week Everyone seemed to score 60 points against the Knicks that week. I think LeBron came into town. He scored 60. Uh, Kobe came into town. He scored 60. It was just a, a very insane week. And to just watch Kobe do it, I I can't believe it. I was really rooting for him to just break the scoring record that day. Uh, you know, And I know you, as a Raptors fan, have felt that when you're like, oh, my God, like he's just going to keep scoring. You know what? I'm just going to keep cheering for him to keep scoring. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Uh, why, would so, you, why would you want to wish that? I because it's <laughs> yeah. it's a once in a lifetime. You're like, you know what? I'm okay I with. Guess that. you're gonna like, watch history. Yeah. You're watching history. It's on my franchise. Like, you know what? If you're already here, you know what? Just go all the way. Uh, so to watch him score 61, and it it wasn't even like, gosh, it was so easy to him. It was so easy to him. He had that one stretch. Uh, in his career there was one week where I think he had dropped over 40 points or over 50 points for a few games in a row and this was one of them so just to watch that and the MSG crowd being the MSG crowd they chanted his name they cheered for him they they gave him a standing ovation yeah because it was just they just like me like I respected him for just completely drubbing us and just showing out at MSG the world's most famous arena so 61 points from Kobe, 100% is my favorite moment ever of his career. 
No, man, I need that toxicness of a, of a fan base. You're not trying to let these guys run up the score on you like that. And hell, no way in hell. I'm not chanting no Kobe. You crazy? Yo, he cooked us, man. He cooked us. I got to give him I gotta give him his roses, you know? <laughs> got to give him his flowers. I guess. I guess. For me, I have a couple of Kobe moments, actually. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is the, the famous incident against the Orlando Magic where Kobe, being known as the alpha shit talker, an attempt to play with everyone mentally, usually when it comes to the game of basketball, it got to a point where Matt Barnes was so triggered by Kobe's presence and, you know, Matt Barnes being an enforcer of the league, he wanted to attempt to impose fear into Kobe. So on the ensuing inbound play, Kobe was right in front of Matt Barnes and almost violated Barnes face to inbound the ball, essentially being literally face to face to him. Matt Barnes pump fakes the inbound into Kobe's face, attempting to scare him. And lo and behold, Kobe did not flinch whatsoever. That's when I realized the guy was not normal. Again, I do know that there's conspiracy theories out there that came recently aimed to debunk the flinching, saying that Matt Barnes was actually pump faking to the side of Kobe's head instead of his face. But forget all that. I'm going with what I saw. Kobe is not human, okay? Regardless. (laughs) It didn't matter whether it was the side, the front, the top. Someone has a ball, a basketball that close to your face, and you don't move? Come on. He's, I'm falling he's backwards. Not That's all I'm saying. No, I'm falling backwards like it's a magic trick, bro. <laughs> I, I might be throwing hands too at that point, and he just—it was nothing to him. He stared right in Matt Barnes' eyes. He's like, "Try me, try me." Hey, man! And ever since then, the legend grew even exponentially higher. So that was, that was one favorite moment of mine. The second one that I have is years later. He featured in a commercial where Jalen Rose bumps into him at a restaurant and reluctantly has a conversation with Kobe, knowing the fact that he was on the receiving end of his 81-point performance years ago. And then Kobe was then approached by a waiter and then asked for a martini. And then the waiter asked then how many olives he wants with that martini. And he just stares at Jalen Rose and says, 81. The awkward stare down after the fact with Kobe and Jalen was so funny because like you could see how hurt Jalen Rose was just kind of like having that mental flashback of the 81 points being dropped on his head top, you know? And then at the end, Kobe acknowledged that it was a joke, but it just goes to show how Kobe has that humorous side to him after being known as an assassin on the court. So those were my two favorite Kobe moments. And again, there's endless moments, right? Where, you know, Kobe had that stretch where I think he hit like, seven game winners i believe it was like 2011 there was just so many moments and even like when he was the kobe of number eight back in the day i think he i remember he hit it was against the portland trailblazers where he hit a falling fadeaway three to tie the game and then in overtime hit a tough shot i think with like 0.8 seconds left and to me that's when i realized this guy was an absolute problem so again endless kobe moments I'm sure you have a bunch yourself, but like he was just an amazing player to watch. Yeah, the other two moments I had that just came to mind when when you brought that up, uh, tearing his Achilles and coming back and shooting free throws uh, as if it was nothing. I put the team on my back, dude. That that just you knew that Kobe Bryant was not going to flinch or Kobe Bryant was not going to sit down and and be in pain. You know, he's not Paul Pierce where he needs to be stretched out. You know, in order to go use the bathroom, like. Kobe was he was gonna do it. If Kobe could have played on that bum ankle, he would have done it. Uh, and then another moment, you know, drawing back to his uh, just the fact that he's not human was he used to do press conferences and he used to speak different languages. He used to speak Italian sometimes. He he did a couple press conferences fully in Spanish. I mean, he didn't he learned Spanish from scratch and and would 
whenever the uh, Spanish reporters would ask him questions, he would answer them in Spanish for them. And that's to me is someone who you know not only you think has no time in the world to do anything but play basketball, goes out of his way, learns a new language, learns new ways to think about things, even philosophically, just learning about life and how that impacts basketball. And his brain worked at 100 miles a minute, and he would just always try to improve himself. So those two also you know, come to mind for me as well, is that he really – like. He wasn't human, you know. He was he was from another planet. He was a different specimen, different breed. He was cut from a different cloth, and and that was what made him the Black Mamba. Right, and then it all goes to show why his death was so tragic. Right, you think about all his non-human elements of just being an assassin, being a killer, being you know that that robot on the court, and then having to know that in the end everyone is mortal. Right, so it's at the end of the day it's just it's just sad to see but again you know we always appreciate what we see from Kobe on and off the court which takes us to our next question where do you rank Kobe with the all-time greats I know this is definitely one of those barbershop talks and again maybe some of the Kobe stands will be coming after us with with our rankings but uh what do you think yeah this one obviously and I think this is why his his death really resonated with us because he was in our lexicon so frequently. We talked about Kobe Bryant more than we talk about our own family members sometimes. You know, I felt like I lost a, an uncle or something because Kobe was – I'm pretty sure I mentioned Kobe on a weekly basis. And, you know, a couple of days before, LeBron had passed Kobe on the scoring list and he was in front of our faces basically. And we were talking about him, comparing him to Kobe – I mean comparing him to LeBron, comparing him to MJ. Where I put him – you can't put him any lower than three. He's top three all time. I have to put him right now at two. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan is still, to me, the yeah. greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, and it's it's going to be hard-pressed to to pass Michael Jordan. Like, his impact on the game and his, his skill level is really unmatched. But Kobe Bryant came very close to it, I think, you know, given his championships, given his record, given his stats, given his impact on and off the court – Kobe Bryant is one of the greatest of all time. A lot of people will put him maybe at one. I'm I'm going to situate him there at two. And you know whether or not you think LeBron James will will, will catch him is a, is a whole other topic. But he cemented himself as a a top five player, b a top three player, arguably a top two player, and maybe the greatest player of all time. But I'm going to put him there at number two, and and it's well deserved and, and well earned. What about you? Man, this is tough because every time I think about the top 10, we always forget about, you know, the old uh, stars of the past, obviously the ones that we haven't seen. You know, when you look at guys like Wilt, guys like Bill Russell, a couple of the guys, like obviously the the competition is, is not the same. But again, you got to play the cards that you're dealt at the end of the day. So with the GOAT standings, it's kind of tough because Braun did really – do a lot outside of obviously the championship record to get him into the top three. Um, I still have MJ at one, you know, when I consider guys like Wilt, Kobe, you got Shaq, you got Duncan, you got Larry Bird, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, people forget that. Like he's literally the all time leading scorer of the NBA based off the pace that Braun is going at. I'm pretty sure he's going to shatter a lot more records, which I believe at the end of his career. So that's why I projected him to be at number two. And it hurts for me to say this. 
Like I said with Tom Brady, he is the undisputed GOAT after that performance yesterday against the Packers. But but I feel like Braun at this point, I think he's going to be in the top three. I have Magic right at number three, and then I have Kobe at four. Magic to me, yeah, Magic to me, I feel like is the reason Braun is Braun. You know what I mean? So they kind of go hand in hand. And again, you can really say the same way with MJ and Kobe, right? Without MJ, there's no Kobe. So... I'm not mad at the fact that Kobe is a top three player. Like it is what it is at the end of the day. But I'm just kind of what I'm what I'm doing with my goat standings. I'm projecting because Braun is still active right now, and I'm sure he's going to shatter a lot more records due to his longevity. But when we're looking at just straight up career as to what they're able to do with the time that they had, Kobe's definitely up there. I can I can agree with you that he maybe even be top two because. In the number of years in which he was able to accomplish versus, let's say, a guy like LeBron James, the efficiency is there, right? He was able to conquer five rings in seven attempts, right? So uh, that's why I'm not mad at your selection to the fact that Kobe is a top three player. But I'm just doing these for the nephews, obviously, those nephews of Reddit, (laughs) nephews on Twitter. I got to do it just to get the brand up, you know, so... Uh, to me, Kobe's number four, but in my heart, he's 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 always going to be number two. So, would, would you would you put Kobe higher if a he won more MVPs and if b he had a team around him uh, that took him to the finals more? Because I mean, LeBron James has always played with a superstar, you know, uh, and I mean, a lot of guys have like you know, MJ doesn't win six rings without Scottie Pippen, you know, uh, Magic doesn't win his rings without Kareem. So I mean, Kobe towards the end of his career, you know, towards the sort of back end of the Pau Gasol championships really didn't have anyone around him for those last five or so years. Uh, he was kind of playing on his Island. He missed the playoffs a couple of times. He, he was hurt a little bit. You know, if, if Kobe had, you know, looked to team up with another superstar or demanded to get traded to a, a championship caliber team, would you put him higher? Oh, he would definitely win more rings. That's a fact. So he would definitely be higher at that point. And like you mentioned, the tail end of his two rings that he won in 2009 and 2010, his second best player was Paul Gasol. And mind you, I'm not trying to disrespect Paul Gasol. He was a great, like, Robin to the Batman, but he ain't no superstar like LeBron has played with. The Dwayne Wades of the world, Chris Bosh, you got Kyrie Irving, Maybe Kevin Love. Kevin Love, I'd say he's a he's a star, probably at the same level as Paul Gasol in a sense. Uh, but with that being said, it just goes to show you know, the greatness that Kobe has in being able to defeat a team such as the Big Three, the Celtics, right? And then defeating a very tough team in the Orlando Magic. So with that said, if he had another superstar, he may not be even be second. I could probably see him as the GOAT at that point. If he was able to win another three, four rings, two, three rings, rather. So does then does that does that sort of tarnish your your argument where you know it uh, depends on the teams that he was with. Kobe didn't didn't falter. He didn't demand to get traded. He wanted to stay with the Lakers, and the Lakers couldn't put a good team around him to win in those last couple of years of his career. So does that kind of kind of shift him down to four because of the mismanagement towards the end of his career, or? No, I think I think it's more so because when people rank the GOAT standings, they don't really look at the context that basketball junkies like ourselves look at. Like if, if I'm able to use that as a criteria, obviously things will be a little different. But, you know, when you're looking at players uh, that you're trying to rate as the GOAT, they're not like 
I guess now, because of what LeBron has done, they're always going to look at, you know, the teams that he played with and whatnot, and that's going to be a, pr- a criteria moving forward. But at the end of the day, people are just going to look at the names and look at the number of championships and accolades. Right now, obviously, Kobe has five rings, but let's say if Braun wins another two, they're, always, they're, they're just going to look at Braun and say, we're looking at the rings, we're looking at the stats, and he surpasses everything, right? But when you look at the contacts, Kobe stuck through it, right? Braun didn't stick through it. So at the end of the day, it's one of those lists that are very subjective. And again, I agree with you where if Kobe had another superstar, I'd probably put him at the number one if he was able to win a couple more rings. But again, a lot of people don't like to listen to context, and that's just the name of the game, unfortunately. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, before we uh, we, we sort of conclude our, our talk on Kobe, I do want to make mention of uh, Gianna Gigi. She was special in her own way. Uh, really, you know, beating boys at her age, and she was learning from the best, was a future number one overall pick in the WNBA. Clearly, Kobe really supported the WNBA in a way that not a lot of people did, wearing their sweater and really putting on for that league. And and Gianna was well on her way to being uh, a member of that league and, and to be a star of that league. And it's it's a real shame that we won't be able to see those, you know, step back jumpers and from from the mid range from from Gigi, plaster those highlights next to Kobe, uh, and of course uh, the family that was also lost uh, in that tragic plane crash, and a lot of promising young basketball players, uh, promising young girls who really learned from the best and and were really going to uh, to make it. So you know, I definitely, obviously, we we want to remember Kobe and and all he's done. And, you know, this episode is dedicated to him, but cannot fail to mention his daughter and, and the family that was lost uh, as well. And, and just the promise that, that they had and, you know, to really reflect on them as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. With that said, that wraps our Kobe edition of Rundat. We appreciate the memories. Rest up, King. All right. So our next segment, AO Moment of the Week. AO, what the f***? So like I said, uh, I have a few that I like to discuss. Last week, my game of the week that I mentioned was whenever the Nets trio are on the floor for the first time. And it was the game of the week indeed, but obviously for the wrong reasons, of course. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, this sucks. The Nets got absolutely baptized by Colin Sexton and the Cavs in both of their games. Mind you, the second game, they didn't have KD, but besides the point, they had two superstars minimum at all times. And I think we were about to see a young superstar in the making. Sexton scored 20 out of his 42 points in overtimes with shots over Kevin Durant and Kyrie, which is a big-time performance. And again, every single shot he was able to hit, I was in complete awe. Like, I don't know if you were able to catch that game. I was able to catch the game probably around the fourth quarter when things started to get a little tight. But man, shot after shot after shot, he was just converting and he was on another level, just on a mission. What did you think of that? I loved it. I loved it. They dropped the first two to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, the Nets don't play defense. We know this. Uh, they, they're they an offensive juggernaut, and they put up a lot of numbers. But you could you got dropped 42 from Colin Sexton. No disrespect to Colin Sexton. Great player. Uh, young bull out here really putting on for Cleveland. And to drop 42 on the presumed uncrowned NBA champions? And then to lose again the next night? Come on, man. That's just straight embarrassing. 
I I loved every moment of it. I was clowning them the whole time. I'm going to be clowning them for the duration of this big three. Uh, so moments like this was just chef's kiss. Yeah, for sure. My my second AO moment of the week actually comes from the Bucks-Hawks game. When Giannis was at the free throw line and knowing how much of a struggle it was for him, what comes after was really quite the head scratcher. He just, I think he, he did his occasional dribble at the free throw line a nice deep breath as he prepares to take the shot. But then the delayed timing between the, the free throw ritual was abnormally long. And as he attempted to take the shot, all of a sudden we hear a whistle. It was a rare 10 second free throw violation. There has to be some kind of mental block that's going on with Giannis and his free throw struggles because I really don't get the fact that A, you have all the time in the world to take a free throw shot and you can't even like convert on it like I, i'm so confused as to what was going on but it was just so funny to me knowing the fact that he really used and abused those 10 seconds only to not have that shot count so that was my amo of the week i don't know if you had a chance to take a look at that too uh i mean overthinking he's overthinking i don't know why i mean i think it was the moment that he played the nets and they just completely backed him off uh at the three-point line and he airballed it i think he's gonna start overthinking his shot now uh, especially at the free throw line. So I, I do, I did see that. I've never seen that before. That's that might be the first time I've ever seen that. before. Um, and, and, and the thing is, you know, what's funny. That was his second 10 second free throw violation. <laughs> I think he had one back in like, I want to say 2016 rather. So this is starting to become a slow trend, but like, I didn't expect him to have this kind of blooper this late into his career. So I don't know. Those are my two AMO of the weeks. How about you? Uh, yeah, I had a, a couple as well. Uh, one of mine came from the Warriors-Knicks game. Uh, it was Draymond Green getting ejected. Why? <laughs> For yelling. Okay, you know, yelling. You know, if, if you yell at a ref, fine, you deserve to get ejected. He was yelling at James Wiseman, his teammate, coming up the floor, yelling and screaming, and probably throwing in an obscenity here and there. And the refs ejected him. Now, I was okay with that because the Knicks ended up blowing the Warriors out, but then they ended up rescinding the technical the day after. And just the thought of, you know, Draymond can't even talk to his own teammates without the referees magnifying, you know, their ears on him and watching for what he says and what he does. You get ejected from talking to your own teammate. That was a really bad moment for the referees. Uh, You know, I hope that they don't make mistakes like that often because the the game is heated. Listen, if I have a teammate who's messing up, I might throw a couple F-bombs in there and tell him to shape up, you know, and like, you know, get it together. And and if I'm telling him to go this way or that way and kind of be in the floor general, yeah, it's going to get a little bit antsy. But to kick him out of the game in the second quarter, I mean, hey, oh, come on, man. Like that's that one was nuts. I don't know if you saw that one. You must have. Yeah, I, okay. First of all, 100% I saw that. Number two, I don't know if I can blame the ref because, man, Draymond just yells way too much. And I'm sure the ref is probably like, yo, this guy, he's already yelling at me all game, right? So he probably made the accurate assumption that, hey, if he's yelling, he's probably yelling at me. And again, out of emotions, he kicked him out of the game. But it could be a blessing in disguise because I'm sure the court got a lot quieter. <laughs> with Draymond off the floor and you know if I was a ref I might I might be the most crooked ref in NBA history if he ever were to talk shit to me I'm booting the shit out of him even if it's like two minutes into the game I'm like listen I dictate who talks on the court 
And if you're going to talk to me in that manner, boy, you're going to be hitting the showers quite soon. So Listen, I, sure- I know your history with uh, with referees in rec league. You're not their favorite player. Oh, uh, so <laughs> I definitely knew that this one would resonate with you because I've seen you throw a couple too many basketballs at officials. It's obvious what's being done out here. It's on a nightly basis. I hope the world can see now what's really going on out here because it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I might be the only player in rec league history to average double digits in points and technical fouls. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? thought? Uh, what was your my, other AO moment of the week? My other AO moment of the week came from the uh, Brooklyn Nets and Miami Heat game. It was after the game. Uh, Brooklyn got their first win. And Kyrie Irving and Bam Adebayo go to exchange jerseys. Uh, but with the new COVID protocols, a security guard came running from the rafters to make sure that they did not exchange jerseys after the game because it is a COVID protocol, uh, you know, violation. I mean, listen, they're playing all game. They're breathing on each other. They're sweating on each other. They're backing each other down. I mean, listen, just keep the testing rapid. And and what's next? Are they going to play with masks? I mean, let the guys exchange jerseys. You know, they're going to wash them. And they've already been in contact with each other for 48 minutes already and in close, close proximity. I don't understand the rationale behind that. Like, you know, the last week we saw Rudy Gay and uh, DeMarcus Cousins foot tap each other before the game instead of sort of dapping each other up. And it's just like, listen, I, I'm all for player protection. I'm all for COVID protection and everyone should be wearing their masks right now and staying home and all that but in the nba when you're they have rapid testing before every game and they've already been in contact with each other for an insane amount of time bodily fluids and breathing on each other and particles everywhere let the guys exchange the jerseys you know they they just hugged each other right. and napped each other up let him exchange the jerseys he's gonna throw it in the wash anyway whatever sign it like, just let him do it, you know? What, what's the point of that? So the fact that he came jetting down the court, making sure, no, you guys cannot trade these jerseys, he was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I know. That was, that was definitely funny to see. And again, I definitely echo your concern. I don't get the rationale that you're playing basketball, you're sharing the same basketball, you're playing defense against each other, and somehow, some way, when you're trying to, like, you know, give daps or, you know, give credit where credit is due, I guess the security or the NBA protocol is to not do that and actually go straight to your locker rooms after the game to me seems so absurd. And I'm hoping that the NBA somehow, some way provides some logic as to why that decision is what it is. So again, they want to make sure that contract tracing is at a minimum, right? For each team. But if you're playing a game 48 minutes against one another, the contract tracing issue isn't even a thing anymore. It's like out the if window. One of the, if one of the players, exactly, if one of the players has COVID or has some kind of symptoms and transmitting it through air particles against other players, like you can't, like what's the difference in dapping each other at that point if you're going to be sharing the same breath basically on the court? So again, I'm hoping for some logic. I'm hoping for some explanation as to why that's the case. And hopefully things will be a little bit better. Agreed. Yeah. So. With that said, we'll go ahead to our next segment, Games of the Week. My Game of the Week will be between two classic story franchise in the Lakers and the Celtics on January 30th, going at it for maybe like the millionth time. With the emergence of Jalen Brown, while Jason Tatum has been out due to health and safety protocol concerns and the return of Kemba Walker, 
it should pose as a great matchup with the revamped Lakers roster. So I'm really looking forward to that matchup and hopefully it will be a classic. How about you? Yeah. I mean, you actually took the words right out of my mouth and you really took the the game out of my mouth. So I'm going to go with my backup game, uh, which will be on Tuesday. uh, When you all are listening to this, it is Russell Westbrook's return to Houston uh, as the wizards play the Rockets. Both teams have been pretty bad. Uh, Russell Westbrook has been abysmal. The Washington Wizards, despite the fact that Bradley Beal is balling outrageous, not really good team. So to see him come back to Houston after they sort of shipped him off, uh, John Wall against his former team, John Wall against Bradley Beal, we've never seen that before. I know Harden isn't there, so that kind of takes away from the matchup a little bit, but I still think it has enough story and enough juice to be a compelling matchup between two pretty bad teams that are going in the wrong direction and i want to see how it how it goes i want to see if there's any love loss between the the teammates if there's going to be anyone touching each other up in the in, in the paint and you know just to see them do battle yeah again it's probably going to be used as a headline as to who won the trade right between, you know, John Wall of the Houston Rockets versus Westbrook of the Washington Wizards. So I'm sure that's going to be the narrative that we're going to hear from that game. Can the answer be neither of them? Did they both lose that trade? I think they both lost that trade. I don't think any winners. (laughs) Unfortunately, a team has to win uh, that game, actually. So um, in terms of the trade itself, again, time will tell. I think what they have, another two years on on their respective deals. So... We'll see which, where which franchise is heading, but I like the way the Rockets are going with obviously the plethora of draft picks that they're, and swaps that they're able to acquire from the Brooklyn Nets and just hoping to build off that. Whereas you got the Washington Wizards who are mismanaging their assets with inheriting Westbrook's $40 million deal. And then you've got Bradley Beal, who's probably going to be a disgruntled player in the next few months or years uh, and demanding his way out. So That's going to be interesting to see where those two franchises are directing towards, too. All right, so we're going to get over to blog boy talk. So all your blog boys and fanboys that's going to use everything I say and create an article, watch a basketball game. How about you write that? And the first question that we got is a pretty interesting question, to say the least. So what started your fandom with your respective team? Was it a particular player or a moment in time? So I guess I can start off with myself, you know, myself being a Raptors fan. For me, the start was the start of insanity, right? Vince Carter was really the sole reason why I fell in with the Raptors. It started off with his nightly highlights of his ridiculous dunks to his 40-point performances in the regular season in the playoffs. And then again, the way he propelled the Raptors into the NBA landscape was cool to see. Watching Raptors games on NBA and NBC on Sundays was super wild to me instead of watching NBA on CTV or TSN or Sportsnet or the case may be, you know, just knowing the fact that the Raptors are playing at a national level where the American viewers are watching it on, on basic cable was something cool to see. I think the first NBA on NBC Sunday Raptors game was that I watched rather was there's a Supersonics, Ray Allen, Richard Lewis, a washed up Sean Kemp. It was, it was quite funny to watch, but And also, you know, seeing their first playoff berth against the New York Knicks, which unfortunately didn't go their way, but you live and you learn. And they were able to avenge them the following year with our first playoff series win. See there how I didn't slander the Knicks? You got to give me credit where it's due. I want my damn respect. Again, shocked. Oh, gosh. 
Unbelievable. So those were my um, reasons as to why I became a Raptors fan, solely because of Vince Carter and the accolades he was able to do. And obviously, we forgot about the All-Star Weekend of 2000, where he shocked the world with his dunking ability. So those are my three things as to why I became a Raptors fan. How about you? Oh, man. I wish I could pinpoint the exact moment I became a basketball fan, right? It's it's one of those things where like my memory is so bad that... I, I remember being a basketball fan for just the longest time. So I, I would probably, I know I started playing sort of rec, not rec basketball, but junior basketball uh, in kindergarten at like five years old. I just knew I just liked the sport. And that was around 97, 98. The Knicks were pretty good back then. That was, you know, Patrick Ewing was still uh, was still playing at a high level. Alan Houston was in the mix. Latrell Sprewell came in, and I think it was oh my boy. <laughs> John Starks was still there. Mace, uh, Charles Oakley, like those guys were still the '94 Knicks were 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 not as completely taken apart at that point. Uh, and just remember watching them. So the I don't know if the Raptors have like a similar kind of broadcast schedule, but Friday Night Knicks was like. And to this day, it's still like feels like a holiday, basically. You know, right now, Friday Night Knicks has like a a very much it has a theme song that, you know, I'll hopefully share with everyone one day. That's very addictive. So I think hearing Friday Night Knicks and and seeing them play. They went to the finals in 99, and I think that was when I was like, all right, these are the guys right here. Like, this is, I'm from New York. I love the Knicks. Everyone was on top of the Knicks. They lost in the finals and, and never got close to it since. But that was when I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm really a fan of this team, and I, I, they're going to be my, my diehards, basically. And, and I distinctly remember in 2004 when they went to the playoffs, I believe it was the seventh seed, and got swept by the Nets. And I'm thinking Stefan Marbury is going to take them, you know, to the next level. And like here they hadn't made the playoffs for like, I think they were, it was about maybe like the last year that they had really made the playoffs after the consecutive stretch in the early two thousands. And I'm had that optimism and I'd go to NBA.com every day and look at the stats and look at the trades and everything. And from there it just became an addiction where I was like, okay, now they're bad again. I need to see them be good again. And that first finals appearance in 90 and 99 were like just the, the brush of greatness really. And then seeing them just go completely downhill from there, almost like made that addiction way, way, way stronger. So, you know, always been a Knicks fan, uh, an obnoxiously annoying Knicks fan to a lot of people always have the gear and everything. So never been to a Knicks game yet. I, I, I will say that I might come to a shock to a lot of people. I've never been to a Knicks game. Uh, because I want my first to be at MSG, um, but I never got the opportunity to go to MSG. It was pretty expensive when I was young and going into the city and things like that. And I refuse to go to a Knicks game at the ACC. That's not going to be my first Knicks experience. So hopefully I will get to, uh, you know, to burst that at some point and, and to to witness the Knicks live at MSG and hopefully witness a championship. Yeah, that's definitely one of my... Um bucket list as a sports fan to watch a game at msg because i've always heard from players like just like the spotlight and just like being in that arena just gives you this different vibe and like i, I really want to explore that as a, as a fan obviously it's much different as a player because 
the lights are straight down at you. But, you know, as a fan, I've always heard some nice things about MSG. So maybe if the Raptors do play the Knicks at MSG, we might have to set something up. We'll see. We might have to. I've been inside the arena before for, for a different event, for a wrestling event. But you can feel the history in those walls, man. Those walls are talking to you, man. A lot of amazing things have happened in that arena. Uh, it's just a shame that it's been, you know, over 40 years since a Knicks banner went up in that arena. So we definitely got to make it out there. Hopefully both teams are good in the next 20 or some years to to be at the top of the East again and, you know, to compete for a championship. So definitely we should – we definitely got to make that happen at some point. Yeah, for sure. The last question that we got here is – is Zion Williamson a boost? Hmm, this is going to be a, quite the controversial question already. To me, maybe maybe I got to take it easy here because uh, he's not looking too good for some reason. I don't know if it's his health or his weight or anything along those lines, but the effort isn't really there from him. And again, there were reports that the Pelicans coaching staff weren't too happy with his level of defense and how hard he's playing. And I'm sure, you know, that trickles to his offensive game and the confidence that he has on this court. Because when you look at his strengths, he's not really using it to his advantage. If he was able to leverage his strengths on the defensive end, he would be an absolute problem. You see those blocks, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like if he was able to put that energy into like shuffling his feet and just getting, getting there, you know, to the closest man and obviously contesting at a high level, like he always does. I feel like that will go a long way. And, to add to that, the Pelicans came into the season with playoff expectations, as I'm sure we talked about uh, early on this podcast. And somehow their play isn't really translating to that standard. I get that the Pelicans are babying Zion because of his, you know, of his health struggles um, and haven't really let him go off the leash, which is maybe why he's not performing to what we expect him to do. But maybe the team is just still young. We just got to stay patient. But again, time will tell. Brandon Ingram is picking up where he left off last year, but the lack of shooting in addition to Brandon Ingram is definitely concerning. Either way, all underperforming expectations will always be tied to the face of the franchise, which is Zion, so I'm hoping things will turn around. But as to whether he's a boost or not, it's still too early to tell. The guy's what? like he, I think he's 20. Like There's still a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think he's a boost. I think, he's like you said, he's still young. His His body is... A real anomaly he's 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 very big but he's very explosive and he's very fast uh you saw when he was at duke and he busted his shoe uh on, on a cut basically and like that just, just doesn't happen a lot of people have been knocking him for his weight but I, i'm gonna go in the opposite direction i think no he, he shouldn't lose weight he should he should bring back that bully ball sean kemp like play you know when you have a lot of good guys around you i mean brendan ingram Right now is the best player on that team, bar none. Uh, so play off of him, you know. Play off of guys like Lonzo. Play off of guys like Bi and and uh, fill in a role. Basically, he doesn't have to be a spot up shooter. He's not a spot up shooter. He's not going to be, you know, a, a dribble drive kind of guy or a lull you to sleep and with crossover. No, no, no. He's a big dude. Give him the ball in the post in some sort of capacity, top of the key down low and he's gonna bully you yeah it's gonna take some some tolls on his body but guess what Shaquille O'Neal was was 10 times bigger than him and he was able to dominate the league for almost two decades you know so I I don't I don't buy that you know he's softer or or, or, you know like he he needs to lose weight or we get quicker no 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 
He just needs to continue to work on his game. He's still very... It's his second year, guys. People are writing off these second year guys. Like, I've heard it with RJ Barrett, too. People were writing him off. Like, guys... Super impatient. Super impatient. Give these guys some time. You know, obviously, John Morant came in that draft class and just completely shocked everyone and was, you know, rookie of the year and, and played amazing. But not everyone needs to be at that pace. Not everyone needs to be that good that fast. So, let Zion, you know, fall into his system... Uh, let him continue to condition and and he doesn't have to necessarily lose all this weight, but know how to use his body right. Know how to use that weight to just bully people, to dominate, to stretch, try and stretch the floor at some point. He doesn't have to learn how to get a three-point shot right away. He might never need a three-point shot. That might not be his game. You know, like I said, Sean Kemp is a great comparison. I think uh, Zion, the sky's the limit for him. You know, just looking at him in high school, it's uh, you always wondered what he can be without a jump shot he'll have time to work on that. And even whether he does or not, as long as all the other parts of his game come through, I think he'll be a phenomenal player. Yeah. I feel like he would be like an extreme elite version or maybe a crossover of a Sean Kemp, like you mentioned and Zebo. If he's able to get that like jumper going, like in the mid range, I think the problem is there's a new coaching staff and Stan Van Gundy. So he's probably getting adjusted to that. And it's hard, you know, being a second year player to switch coaches and then on top of that, you got Steven Adams, who is a great player, but he's definitely not helping with like the spacing, clogging the paint where maybe where Zion can go ahead and impose his will as you know as a player. So I feel like that will come with adjustments. The coaching staff will be responsible in putting him in the perfect spots to succeed. And again, he's young, so time will tell. And we really hope that you know Zion can live up to those expectations and be that uh, be one of those faces in the league for sure. He will. I have no doubt that he will. That wraps up our episode. So again, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe to our podcast. So Game Point Pod on IG and Game Point Pod underscore on Twitter. We are both on Spotify and Apple platforms. Add reviews if you can. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I just want to say that, you know, with all our listeners listening in consistently, rating us, sharing our content, we really appreciate it. You smart. You're loyal. You're grateful. I appreciate that. From the bottom of our hearts, I mean, it's it doesn't go unnoticed. And I really wanted to stress that, you know, we, we feel your support and we hope that you continue this uh, moving forward. So I don't know, Yazin, if there's anything you'd like to add. No, absolutely. And uh, you know, on that note, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace, Gianna Bryant. Uh, rest in peace to the Altabella family. Uh, this episode is for you uh, and you know we we thank you for for all you did in basketball and we'll always remember you and uh, yeah this one's for the this one's for the black mamba man rest easy king with that being said we'll end it off that's game <laughs>